The scripture this week is Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. There once was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. His sons used to go and hold feasts in one another's houses in turn. They would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the feast days had run their course, Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This is what Job always did. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a fence around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand now and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, all that he has is in your power. Only do not stretch out your hand against him. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell on them and carried them off and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came and said, The Chaldeans have formed three columns, made a raid on the camels and carried them off, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still talking, speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in the eldest brother's house, and suddenly came a great wind across the desert, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. I alone have escaped to tell you. And then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that through your word for us this day, we would continue to learn more about you, more about ourselves, and more about our faith. In your son's name we pray. Amen. 
I invite you to take out your notes page as we get started. For those of you who are joining us online, again, I invite you to click the link right there in the YouTube description that has our notes on it. If you're watching this on a phone, it will send you to another app, and so you may want to either do it on a different device or, or find a computer as you were. Why do we as humans suffer? This is a question that so many of us wrestle with, and especially for those of us who have faith and trust in God. Why do bad things happen to people who are good? Why do bad things happen to people who believe in God? I think that this question stems from uh, somewhat of a fallacy in our Christian understanding. As Christians, we often think of ourselves in this, with a sense of invincibility in our lives. And therefore, when bad things happen, it does one of two things. It either breaks us and our faith, and we lose our trust and faith in God, or we just explain it away in sometimes theologically unhealthy terms. But for as long as humans have experienced suffering, they have tried to answer this question of suffering. And and over time, we've gone through various justifications for the presence of suffering in our lives. But noting that suffering is always there. The pastor of the church that I interned at in Northern Virginia had a saying uh, and and I, I probably, John, I'm probably not getting this exactly as you would say it, but he would often say, you are always in one of three places in your lives. You're either going into a time of suffering, in a time of suffering, or coming out of a time of suffering. This is not meant to be a, a way to humiliate us in terms of telling us that life sucks, but it's meant to highlight this understanding of humility that a lot of times we're either coming into a bad time in our lives, going through a bad time in our lives, or coming out of a bad time in our lives. And in that nature, as Christians, we try and answer this question of suffering, and in that we often ask the wrong question, at least as I see it. We often ask, why does God allow suffering? And then, rightfully, if we ask that question, we often turn to this book of the Bible. We often dive into the book of Job and and seek an answer to that very question. And oftentimes, we read it, we don't often find real tangible answers, or at least ones that lead to a healthy, faithful relationship with God, because we read Job with the intent to tell us, one, why suffering happens, And two, what God is doing about it. Yes, the book of Job is about suffering. And it is about suffering of a notably righteous man, as we see in verse 1. But it is is more about a journey of theological growth when it comes to understanding suffering. And shows us that when it comes to suffering in humanity, we're asking the wrong question. Why does God allow suffering? Or what is God's role when we are suffering? Job and his understanding 
of suffering, and thereby his faith grows throughout the course of this book. We are going to to notice the way in which the Job we meet here in chapter 1 is not the same Job that we will see in chapter 43. Job grows, and as Job grows, we experience growth as well. As we see the ways in which God is not the cause of our suffering, we're not trying to figure out why God causes our suffering, but we are learning and establishing the way that God works with us in times of suffering. And so we're going to look at that. This is what we're doing in this uh, post, the, these, these first number of weeks post-Pentecost. We're going to be here for six weeks in the book of Job, and uh, we're, we're only going to probably be scratching the surface because Job is 43 chapters long, and I'm going to try and cover all of them in six weeks. And so uh, I apologize to whoever my scripture, I promise we're not going to read all 43 verses. I would, we're going to read selected portions of 43 verses, but I would encourage you in each and every week to, to read these portions of Job that we are examining and dive deeper into that book. And so as we get started, as we dive through this narrative, I want to remind us of a couple of things that will help to put Job into context for us. As we dive into this narrative, it's important to understand that this is a parable in the Hebrew tradition. We're going to meet many different characters, but the central focus will reside and rest with the nature of God in relationship to Job. And so as we look at this book, we're reminded that this is a narrative that teaches us about the nature of God. We, we don't want to read it in a historical context, but we want to read it as enlightening us as to who God is and the character of God and the character of humanity. And in this notion, as we begin to unpack this, I, I began to ask myself what the importance of Job in this time is. And I think it's, it's very important for us to understand Job in the nature of our contemporary reality, right? A pandemic in which, in which we have examined, or in, sorry, in which we have uh, understood that, that we are existing in a manner of suffering right now, right? We have just gone through this, and we're still going through this pandemic in which we have looked and saw the greatest understanding of suffering in humanity. We've seen, uh, at least in the United States, over half a million people die. We've saw many, many millions of people become infected with this virus. Uh, We have lost friends. We have lost family members, not just to the virus, but over the course of the last year and a half. We have seen many traditions and rituals that we have become so accustomed to uh, slip and fall away. We've had to let things go. It has been a rough year. And in that, we have come through this pandemic, and, and now we begin to, to reflect on where we have been. And now we begin to reflect. And as we begin to reflect, it invites us to consider where our faith is going forward. And we learn from Job this nature in which reflecting on where we have been in suffering helps our faith to grow and mature and moves us from asking new questions. Maybe we aren't meant to understand the origin of suffering, or if we do know, maybe it will make us uncomfortable because we often see that we are the culprits of our own tragedy. But what if, in understanding suffering, we grow 
out of the way in which suffering through our suffering enhances and grows our relationship with God. And so as we explore our relationship with God, we explore what it means to be in relationship with God, the often unhelpful help we get from others, this promise of redemption, the nature of God in creation, the witness of God, and ultimately then the healing nature of God that brings us out of suffering. I'm sure many of us can sympathize with Job. I'm not saying that we have the level of loss or suffering that Job may have in this chapter. The man has just lost his family, his entire livestock, and all of his land and his houses. But I am sure we can all point to a time in our lives where verse 20 really resonates with us, where we just have to throw caution to the wind and weep and cry out of despair. The first chapter and and even into the second chapter, which is this first portion of Job where Job loses everything, serves as an introduction in our lives. Yes, it introduces us to Job, but it sets the stage for what, for the theological growth that Job will go through. Now remember, Job is not understood historically by the Israelite culture, and it's a parable. And this helps us because it points to the nature of how Job is described. We see that in the first chapter, we are introduced to Job by saying, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. And as we go through the next several verses, we hear of this man, Job. We hear of the, the, the seven sons and the three daughters. We hear of, of all the livestock that he owns, of all the land that he owns, of his great and plentiful wealth of this man owns. And, and we see it attributed to this manner in which he was blameless and upright. Job is meant to be an archetype of a complete or perfect human being. Job is meant to be this vision and nature of this human being whose faith in God could never be swayed, whose faith in God meant everything to him. And we see it depicted, right? We, we see Job. Job is like, you know what? I'm not taking any chances. My, my children have a party. You know what? I'm going to go the next day and offer sacrifices to the Lord just in case, right? I mean, Job is probably confident in the way that he has raised his children. And so he's like, okay, well, they're not going to do anything, but you know what? Let me go and do this just in case. Job is meant to be an archetype of a complete and perfect person. He is meant to be one that God will point to and that we see God point to in that next grouping of verses as an admirable image of what it means to be faithful and righteous. And we see this nature in which Job is a blameless and upright man. And so are we led to believe in this chapter that it is because of Job's righteousness and faith in God that his life appears to be blessed? Well, this appears to be somewhat the case as we continue to read, but, but you know what? It's never explicitly seen whether Job believes that his fortune is, is from God or what the nature of his relationship with God truly is beyond faith and righteousness. 
And we see this begin to unfold when we move from hearing about Job to this council of heavenly beings that is being formed by the Lord. And we see Job's righteousness question. Not Job's righteousness. There's no question that Job is a righteous man. But the nature in which Job is righteous. And enter in this Satan figure. And as we move away from this focus of Job, our attention goes into this heavenly council, this heavenly gathering. And namely, we see this interaction between this figure called Satan and the Lord. Now, before we go much further, I want us to do a little background on Satan. Because when we say Satan, we probably think this this red figure with devilish horns, this devil character, but I want us to move away from that understanding of the personification of evil in the world, and I want us to understand it in the nature and context of this book, that Satan, or Hasatan, as it is known in Hebrew, is actually translated as the accuser, the adversary. This figure in this story is meant to be the one who is going around literally. And we hear Satan say, right, I was going uh, to and fro from earth. That is in verse seven, from going to and fro on earth and from walking up and down, right? This, this Satan figure is walking around the earth and he is examining the nature of humanity. That is the figure that comes forth But it is the question that is asked when God is like, but have you seen this guy, Job? And Satan, right? Satan knowing. He's the one who, again, is walking around and knows the nature of humanity. Asks this question in verse 9. Look in verse 9. If you have a pen and you have your notes, like underline this question. Because this is going to be the question that drives the rest of our sermon today. Does Job fear God for nothing? Right. Remember who that Satan figure is. Satan knows humanity. Satan has been walking the earth and knows the nature of humans. And so, and 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 you know, we walk the earth and know the nature of humans, right? And so, Job is like, "All right, God, I see that you're talking about this man, Job. I see that you think he is righteous and faithful. But you know what? Is Job faithful for nothing?" This is the question we begin to focus on when we unpack suffering. Because what hurts the most about suffering? What hurts the most about suffering, and and I hear this all the time, is the seeming absence of God in these dark times, right? The, The thing that hurts most about suffering is that we feel that suffering does not need to exist, right? We use our faith in God to justify the good things that happen in our lives. And then we think if God is directly responsible for the good in our lives, then God must also be responsible for the bad things in our lives too. And we directly tie that good to God. And then rightfully so, right? Because we believe that God is a good God we begin to wrestle with God's nature when bad things happen. Because God is either a jerk who causes us to suffer directly, or a jerk who doesn't 
who makes it so that we suffer indirectly. And when we are blessed in our lives, we give thanks to God and think about it because our faith in God is what has caused these good things to happen for us. And therefore, when the bad happens in our lives, as they do for Job, we fall back on that adage that even Job offers in this scripture when he is weeping. Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. And what does he say next? The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. We encounter that these words here, and, and let me be clear, because in verse 22, sorry, so that was verse 21 that I just read. In verse 22, we see that Job never curses God, right? Job never curses God, but Job definitely uses these words to understand within his heart, you know what, the Lord has given me all of these things, and so rightfully so, the Lord has the right to take them all away, Yes, Job refrains from cursing God or speaking ill, but it does seem like Job considers in some way, shape, or form to be responsible for this suffering and that God has taken a role. And so we come back to this question as we begin to build this narrative and character for Job. Why do we love God? Or better yet, what do we expect in our relationship with God. Catherine Schiffendecker of Luther Seminary actually phrases the question this way, do we love God for what we get out of the relationship or do we love God for who God is? <clears throat> and when I think and reflect on that question, and especially when we begin to gain an understanding of the role that suffering plays in our life, we begin to think, do I love God because I think that God will magically do good, keep me safe, do everything right in my life, bless me with amazing children, vast amounts of wealth, whatever I want in life, or do I love God because of who God is? Does Job attribute his blessed life that we hear about in verses 1 through 5 to God and thereby build his entire life that because he is a righteous man who follows God, follows the customs of his Jewish heritage, that he is somehow exempt from suffering? Or does Job trust and believe in God, in, in God such that his faith holds up even when he experiences and suffers personal and social loss. And the funny thing is we see both of these begin to play out as the story of Job unfolds. We will see Job question not only his faith, but often God too. And while Job's faith will never waver, we will see later on next week and, and in coming weeks in his interactions with his friends, we will observe questioning an unpacking of the nature of God. Maybe the reason that suffering is such a tough thing for Christians is because we think that because we believe in God, that, our li that we are somehow owed a perfect life because of our faith. 
We feel that if God is all loving, then God would prevent bad things from happening to us. That if we believe in God and we do what God calls us to do, we will have perfect lives filled with beautiful spouses, lots of money, and everything we could ever imagine. We might be fooled by this prosperity gospel preachers offer. They offer the key to happiness as a matter of faith in God that yields earthly possessions and earthly happiness. Often saying that famine, disease, and all matters of suffering are problems cleared up by praying and faith. And then, if our suffering continues, it is a matter that we have either not prayed enough or not been faithful enough. And yet, when someone gets a cancer diagnosis, is their faith lacking? If it isn't gone after a praying spell, do they somehow need more faith for it to go away, even though they have prayed daily for God to take the cancer from their lives? Does the continued presence of cancer mean that God is a mean God for not taking it away? Again, is God such a jerk that he picks and chooses who deserves to be blessed and who deserves to suffer? Even if a person is faithful every day of their lives, is God such a jerk that he inflicts them with a situation of suffering? Is the point of our faith that we believe God will make our lives the best lives we could ever hope for? Or is it that we believe in a God who loves us no matter what situation of life we are in? I say that this is the first question about suffering because it is the first nature of dealing with suffering we encounter here in Job. And yet, it still can be the first question that we address because it leads us to understand the motives of our faith. The Satan figure's question is a question we must all sit and wrestle with as Christians. It is a question that when we truly sit with can actually help us to heal through our suffering. Because we can both answer that question saying we love God for nothing else than loving God and know that true love in God leads to a different kind of happiness, one that transcends our suffering and this feeling of deservedness. You see, we can laud Job for his faith in the midst of this suffering. But we can also look at his response to it and wrestle with our own handling of suffering. Job's first response when bad things happen in his life is grief. Is grief. We will see in his interactions both personally, communally, and spiritually. We can see how, to pro- how we can both process and move through these times of suffering. But we can do none of this productively if we do not first foundationalize our relationship with God as one driven by humility rather than privilege. It is to say that suffering hurts so much because we understand and know the true love of God. But then we also know the ways that God will work through us to lift us out of those moments of pain and heartache. 
knowing, and we will see this, that God grieves right alongside of us in our own grief. I cannot tell you that you will live a perfect life. I cannot say that everything will go good for you. If I did, I would be lying. And ultimately, suffering is a natural part of life. But it is defining this relationship with God that ends up helping us in the long run. And so do we love God for what we think we deserve because we love him or because of who God is? And if we love God for who God is, what does that say, not about God, but about the nature of our own perseverance through suffering? And what does it say then about our reaction to suffering? As we move through this narrative, we are going to see Job become pressured to forsake God, to admit that he did something wrong of some kind, to waver in his faith. And it is in these reckonings that Job will grow and realize that his faith in God was never about what he received in life, but it was about that spiritual connection that Job had. We commend Job in verse 22 that for all he did, he did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. Because we may be quick to try and blame God, or we may come to find that others will try and impress that maybe God is causing our pain, but we have to stand firm that God is not the cause of suffering. Shifting this nature off of God, and then God plays the role of healer. Job provides an image of the suffering servant, one who invites us to consider God's nature as a manner of loving creation, and therefore recognizing the work that God does. How are we learning to love God for who God is, rather than what we think God will do for us if we believe? Amen.